In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So I want to pick up on one particular theme from that passage in John 1 and it's a theme of grace. But before I do so, I have a story to tell. And it involves a car mechanic and his dog. And the uh, car mechanic had been working uh, late into uh, the summer evening in his backyard. It was one of those messy backyards. Um, I'm sure you can all picture it with a bit of concrete and lots of rough grass and weeds. A bit like our old garden, actually. Um, But that's that's where he was doing his mechanic's job, working late into the evening. Uh, It was getting dark, so he thought, I need to to stop for the day and uh, get inside. So he packed up his tools except he couldn't find his favourite wrench. It wasn't there on the concrete. Um, He had a brief look around the grass, couldn't find it. He was frustrated with himself. But he'd done done this kind of thing before. So he said, OK, not to worry. Wait till the morning. The light will be better. I'll find it in the morning. So off he went back into his house, fed the dog, went to bed. Now, his dog was called Mace, and Mace had the run of the house and the run of the garden. He was allowed to go wherever he wanted to. Um, And the guy came down for breakfast in the morning, and he looked out of his kitchen window, cup of tea in hand. You know that feeling, that lovely early morning feeling when you've got your cup of tea in hand. He was doing that, and he saw his dog, Mace, amongst the grass. Mace had a habit of chewing uh, grass, as some dogs do, and his owner had a habit of telling him not to chew grass, as some owners do. So he reached for the window, opened the window, and called out, Mace! Mace looked up, and in Mace's mouth, 
was the missing wrench. And the guy was delighted, and he was a religious guy, and so he uttered a prayer at this point. A grazing mace, how sweet the hound, that saved a wrench for me. Well, that nearly leads us into our theme of grace and John chapter 1. The word, the name John actually means God is gracious. And in this first chapter, this first section of his first chapter, he refers to grace a number of times. He makes at least five claims about grace. And what I want to do this morning is look at those five claims. So the first is this, that grace has come. From verse 17, for example, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace has come down to earth. And as we've been saying in this series, this Advent series, grace has come down to earth in two sorts of ways, literally, but also in a very earthy way. Um, practical way. In John's words, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or as one translation puts it rather beautifully, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's the down-to-earth grace. Verse 3, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. This is the miracle that the creator himself comes down to his creation. Jesus leaves the glory of heaven to be born on earth in a stable. He chooses not to grow up in the exciting city of Jerusalem, but in a backwater called Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem. Grace has come. Secondly, grace has come with truth. We saw it there in that verse 17, but also verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Verse 17 that we read just a moment ago. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we need both. We need both. Some of us might prefer that truth had come and left grace behind. We might lean towards a world of justice where there's no redemption for certain crimes, where um, there's no forgiveness for the murderer or the rapist or the child molester. We might prefer a world like that. Or we might prefer a world where grace has left truth behind, where there is no strict standard, no judgment, where all are forgiven. The biblical God, however, is infinitely holy, so our sin couldn't be shrugged off. It had to be dealt with. He is also infinitely loving. He knows we could never climb up to him, so he has come down to us. God had to come himself and do what we couldn't do. Infinitely holy, infinitely loving, truth and grace together. 
And then grace has come for us, verses 11 and 12 this time. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice how generous grace is to all who did receive him. There are no exceptions. Grace comes to all. Now, it's not my normal habit, but um, I've watched two Christmas movies so far this year. And um, in this one, Jesper, the postman, tells the children that if they write to Mr. Claus and they've been good, they will receive a toy. But the difference between Claus or Father Christmas and Jesus Christ is that Jesus doesn't just come for the good. He comes for all. I wonder if you've ever wondered about those genealogies in the um, opening verses of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, particularly in, in the King James Version, it has a bit of a, um, bit of a history to it, I think. Um, it starts like this. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and on and on it goes, begat, 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 begat. And you're reading Matthew chapter 1, and you're perhaps thinking, what's all this about? Why doesn't Matthew just jump straight to the virgin, was con- Mary was conceived, found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit? Why go through all this genealogy stuff? Why not just get straight to the point, get straight to the Christmas story? Well, here's one reason. It's because in this brief genealogy, you have moral outsiders, you've got adulterers, adulteresses, incestuous relationships, prostitutes. We're reminded that even the prominent male ancestors of Jesus, Judah, David, were moral failures. You've got people who are outside culturally. You've got gender outsiders, you've got racial outsiders, and all of these people, the law of God excluded from the presence of God. And yet, they are publicly acknowledged as the ancestors of Jesus. I think one of the things Matthew is doing at the start of his gospel, at the start of his Christmas narrative, is making this point that Jesus has come for all There are no limits, there are no boundaries. Jesus has come for all. Tim Keller again, even the begats of the Bible are dripping with God's mercy. George Herbert expressed this thought that grace comes for us, the ones who didn't deserve it, in his poem, Love the Third. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes? But I. 
Truth, Lord, but I've marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I'll serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Comes out in that poem, doesn't it? The sense of unworthiness that he feels. But love made him welcome. Grace has come for us. And it has no limits. So verse 16, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. So I want you to picture at this point one of those restaurant chains like the Harvester. I think they still do this, haven't been for a while. Where there's an option of unlimited salad. Has anyone been in recently? Is that still the deal? Yes? One person's been. I won't won't shame you or embarrass you. One person has been to the harvester. There is still this option of unlimited salad or unlimited soft drinks, I think. So no matter how much salad you pile on your plate and eat, you can go back for more. No matter how much Coke you drink, I think that's still still a deal, or cola or whatever it is, you can go back for more. Or if that uh, image of uh, repeated rounds of limp lettuce and uh, sugary drinks doesn't appeal, think of another scenario in which you can have an unlimited supply of something that you really want or that you, you really need, and it gets topped up again and again. That is what grace is like. Grace has no limits. Grace has no time limits. You can call any time on grace. Grace has no geographical limits. Wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, the very end of the earth, opposite end of where we are now, wherever you go, Antarctic, wherever you go, grace is there. And grace has got no moral limits. No matter how far you have fallen, no matter what you have done that maybe you think excludes you from grace, it doesn't. Grace is for all. Forgiveness is for all. But it must be received. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So grace is, as Andy illustrated when he uh, pretended to give something to the, uh, the young girl down here, grace must be received. It's, it, It it might be the most wonderful gift in the world, but unless you open your hand, you can't receive it. Unless you open your hand, it's of no value to you. Grace is like a knock on the door. It might be the most wonderful person on the other side of the door. It might be the most incredible, exciting news waiting for you on the other side of the door. But unless you open the door, you won't hear that news. You won't see that person. Grace must be welcomed in. But here's where our problem lies. We don't want grace. We don't really want to be on the receiving end of someone else's favour. We don't want to be in their debt like servants of a king. We want to be the one who sits on the throne. And we feel threatened by this person, Jesus, who has come claiming to be king. The little Herod in our heart is angry about it and disturbed 
But this little Herod in our heart is waging a war it cannot win because the rightful king Jesus will take his place at some time or another, whether we voluntarily acknowledge him and receive him or in a day to come where it says, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So one way or the other, Jesus will be our king. But the question that's asked of each one of us is, will we receive him? Will we receive grace? Will we welcome him as our rightful king? Will we open the door to him? Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. What do we need to do? First thing we need to do is find the missing page in my notes. There it is. Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So there's that picture of Jesus knocking on the door waiting for the door to be opened. That's from the last book of the Bible, also written by John. But in our passage, it's this. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So this question comes to us, will we receive grace? And at this point, some of us might be thinking, well, I've done that already. I did that back then, whenever back then was. And you're now kind of mentally going through your Christmas to-do list because there's only six days to go and you've still got lots to do. But the point is this. Jesus doesn't just come knocking once. He doesn't just come knocking once. He comes knocking every day asking us today if we will welcome him in again, if we welcomed him in once. Will we welcome him in again? It's about an ongoing relationship with Jesus, not just a single event. So if we have welcomed him once, then we should be hearing this and thinking, I need to open the door again today. Welcome back, Jesus. I'm glad you've come back. Maybe we might say, my house is still a bit of a mess, to be honest. I still haven't got things sorted out. I'm sorry, it's not looking like it should. But I'm grateful that you've come again. I'm grateful that you've knocked on the door of my heart again and are willing to come in. My house is your house. You are so welcome. That, maybe not those words, but that sentiment should be our daily sentiment if we have welcomed Jesus in the first time, an acknowledgement that he's always welcome. However messed up we continue to be, he's always welcome by us. But if we haven't welcomed him for the first time, then how do we do that? Well, it starts with recognizing who is knocking at the door. In John's verses, again, he describes him as the word who is God, the one through whom All things have been made. 
the light of mankind, the one in whom is life. That is the one who is knocking at the door, not just another person, not just another prophet, not just another great teacher. The life, the word, the light of mankind is knocking on the door. That's the first step, recognize who's knocking. And secondly, we need to admit that up to this point we haven't recognized him. That's what it says in verse 10. Though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. Our own little Herod refuses to acknowledge that this is the king that has come. So if we're going to make a step forward and receive Jesus, we need to admit that our own little Herod has been kind of stamping its feet, saying, no, I want to be in charge, I want to be king. And then thirdly, we need to receive him, as it says. Well, how do we do that? Verse 12. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. To believe means not just to nod with our heads, but to put our trust in, to put our trust in. So we welcome Jesus in as our rightful king and our rightful Lord and Saviour. What else do we need to do? Well, actually nothing. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. It's really that simple. That's what grace is. Grace is knocking at the door of our hearts this morning. Whether we've welcomed him in once, no times, a hundred times, grace knocks again this morning. Will our meek soul receive him today?